Well, it's a privilege to be able to look at God's Word together with you all this evening. I would keep your finger in that passage in Matthew because we're going to look through that in our time in the Scriptures this evening. I do want to thank again those who are are here uh, with us, uh, all those here representing, I know, Cahaba Park Church and their partnership in this work. They've been a huge uh, human resource to us and given us direction as we got started, as well as supporting us in other ways. Of course, Covenant Church, we're so thankful for the opportunity that we had to, to recruit and to share with folks in the church about this work. And many of our core group members, the establishment of this church came out of that church and, of course, have supported us in a number of other ways. Thankful for uh, Corb's work with the church planting uh, network and the way that that's been. That's a meeting monthly that we have where we gather together for prayer and just praying for all sorts of church plants and just appreciate all of you who are here representing those uh, different bodies and, and all of the others of you that are here just to support and encourage us during this time as well. I invite you to uh, turn your attention to uh, God's Word in Matthew 16 that we just heard. And as we do, let's pray together to ask God's blessing on this time. Oh, Father, how we do praise you and thank you this evening for your work on our behalf. We thank you for your word that reveals to us who you are, reveals to us even how it is that we're supposed to be and to build your church. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the scriptures from beginning to end speak of you, your work, your mercy extended to those who need grace, those who are sinful and need your mercy. And so we thank you tonight as we look at your word that we see even that your church would be built on you. Strengthen us during this time and challenge us as well through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've heard the passage that was read by Corb. As we think of those verses, I think about little Johnny, who was in his Sunday school class. He had come to Sunday school week in and week out over the years, had been there week in and week out. Mrs. Smith was teaching the class that day, and so she asked the the class who was gathered together, she said, I want you all to guess who I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of somebody. I want you to guess who I'm thinking of. She said, this is a creature. It's a small little creature. It's uh, furry and gray, has a long tail, climbs through the trees, and eats nuts. I want you to guess who I'm thinking of. Most of the kids were just quiet and sat there before the teacher. Little Johnny finally spoke up, said, teacher... It sounds a whole lot like a squirrel, but we're in Sunday school, so I know the answer's got to be Jesus. Well, Johnny guessed wrong, but he also guessed right. The answer is Jesus. The answer to who we would be as a Church, And as we look at these verses tonight and we see Peter in his uh, uh, triumph and also in his failures, we see that the church is to be grounded on who Christ is, his person, that he is the son of the living God. He's the holy one, the anointed one from the Lord. And so as we look at these verses today, 
And there's a section in your worship guide, if you want to, at the back where you can take some notes along with me. We see that as we fully confess who Christ is, as we fully confess Him, we'll be able to be part of building a church on this concrete confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. We look at these verses, we probably see right away that it's not as easy as we think to do this. To some degree, we do confess Christ. I would suggest that many of us here have made a profession of Christ, put our trust in Christ, and yet we see that Peter has some confession, but he's also lacking. There's also much in his confession that's lacking. Just as we would today confess Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God, we struggle, though, to put that into practice. We confess Christ, we believe in Christianity, and yet what's so easy to practice in our individual lives and what's so easy to practice in the church is me-ianity. Church built around what we do, what our capacity is. And it's a little bit easier in a church plant, admittedly, to remember what the church should be about. We uh, barely got into our facility tonight. This is our temporary facility, so we don't have a lot of opportunity to put trust in our facilities. Uh, We don't have a whole ton of programs because we're just getting started, and many of us are devoting a lot of energy just to the regular uh, operation of the church from week to week and leading life groups and things like that. So it's a little bit uh, helpful for us, and yet at the same time, we find it so easy to put our trust in our plans, in our efforts, in what we see the Lord doing through His church and the myths that it must be built on Christ. And Christ alone. As we look in these verses, we'll see in particular that Jesus challenges us in one particular way. And that is the surprising reality that, yes, his church is going to grow. Yes, he has power that he's giving us as a church. But that that power comes through struggle, through suffering, through following a Savior that's headed down a path of difficulty. So Jesus teaches us about what it is to... Build the church to build it on him. And he does it in a couple of ways in these verses. He helps us answer the question, who is Jesus? Who is he? He also answers the question, who he is not. And then lastly, what I want us to look at is what does that mean then for how we're to seek to build his church and be involved in the building up of his church? If you look with me in these Verses at verse 14, you see that people in Jesus' day were giving some answers about who he was. And we probably, again, many of us are here and know enough to steer clear of these answers, that Jesus indeed is more than a prophet, uh, more than just one of these prophets brought back to life. As we look at verse 16, we see that Peter hits and goes for the fences. I, I, I love Peter. It's just fun to read passages about him, isn't it? I mean, he, he's going to go hard or he's going to go home. He's going he's to swing and he's going to swing for the fences and not settle for anything less. Jesus asked, who do the people say that I am? And Peter says this. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He hits the ball. He hits it over the fence. He gets it right. And it's a fantastic thing. But before he can get... Too excited even about it to begin with. Jesus says some things in the next verse 
that will be good for us to hear as well tonight. In verse 17, he says, For flesh and blood, Peter, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. You got the right answer. You, you've answered it correctly. But even your ability to know that, to recognize who Christ is, comes from the Father, comes from the teachings of His Word. It comes from an outside source. It's a blessing from one beyond you. We see as we continue reading through these verses in verse 18, Jesus give these incredible words. Can you imagine hearing these from the mouth of Jesus, having swung for the fences and having hit the ball in the way that Peter did? Verse 18, Jesus says, And I tell you, You are Peter, his name means rock, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. We need to slow down here for a minute, because as we look at these verses, we'll recognize that certainly there's different perspectives on this passage out there for uh, years and centuries Uh, Roman Catholicism, at least, has said that this is a passage about the papacy and about a certain church establishment. But we see very quickly that that can't be what these verses are saying. Jump down with me to verse 23. Corb read them for us earlier. Verse 23. Peter, who in the one stance is confessing Christ and recognizing Christ and is then going to be a rock on which the church is built, he's got a little bit different Identity, a little bit different role to play down in verse 23 as he resists who Christ is, as he resists part of Christ's mission and purpose for him and for the church. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me. So what is this telling us? It's telling us it's not really something special about Peter. Certainly Cross Creek Church today, nothing special about me Nothing special about any particular one of us out here in and of ourselves seeking to build this church. What is special, what is powerful, what will be a rock on which this church can be built and any church can be built is the reality of Jesus Christ and who he is. That's the basis of it. And when we get that and understand that, when we pursue that week in and week out, try to understand what it means to really confess him, we'll be building up the church. We'll be extending his kingdom. When we get off track from it, we'll no longer be a a rock, a foundation for the church. We'll be, in fact, a hindrance to it. Just so we can see that this is meant to be applied to all of us, and not just a special thing about Peter as well, First Peter, of all places, Peter says it himself in his uh, uh, book, his epistle. First Peter, he says, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, As you come to Christ, as we come to Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer sacrifices acceptable to God. Through Jesus Christ. Living stones. Living stones built on the confession of who Christ is. On who he is. How do we apply this to us tonight? Sounds like probably an overly simplistic question for the gathering here tonight. Folks who are interested in coming to a service called particularization for a church probably have a niche market that we have here tonight. 
But it's a really important question for us. Who do we believe Jesus to be? Who is Jesus? And particularly, who is he in the church? Do we believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Or really do we believe that he's just a dead son of a dead God? Peter confesses that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, and challenges us too as well. If we've begun to see him as the Christ, we'll also realize as Peter was called to recognize that we, we can't do this on our own. We can't even begin to believe or confess and know who Christ is, let alone do all the things he calls us to as a church without God doing a work. Blessed are you because God has revealed these things to us. What a privilege today, you who are here who have put your trust in Christ and recognize at least at some level what He has done, that He has revealed these things to us and that we can begin to build this community, this kingdom around that. As we see this, as we see the confession of Christ, as we see our inability to believe it and to know it in and of ourselves, we need an outside work, we'll also see the joy of these verses. There is encouragement here for us that when we confess Christ, our lives are not purposeless. Our gathering together in church is not purposeless. We can be a building block for the very kingdom of the Lord of the universe. What a privilege for us to have that opportunity. So who Jesus is tells us a lot for us tonight and our purposes. This passage also talks about who Jesus is is not who Jesus is not. If you look with me at verse 21, in a sense he's continuing to say who he is, but we'll view this through the eyes of Peter, because for Peter it's a statement of who Jesus is not. Obviously Peter is looking for some kind of uh, earthly uh, ruler, some kind of hero, some kind of victor that would come and establish an earthly kingdom. We'll see that here as we look at verse 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. It's interesting because there's actually a little bit of good news in there at the end for Peter's agenda, if you will. Jesus says that he's going to be raised, but apparently by that point, Peter is tuned out. He's heard the first couple of statements Jesus made, and he's tuned out at this point. And so he does this thing that is, to us on the surface, unthinkable. He calls Jesus into the principal's office. He pulls him over the sideline and grabs him by the face mask and starts to chew him out about his agenda and how it's off track. Look with me at verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine? Saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Well, you say, well, maybe he's, we'll give the best spin we can. Maybe he's interested in the well-being of Jesus. He's watching out. For him, and, and I'll give you a little bit there. Perhaps he is, but I think it's more likely this. Peter was brash and was bold, but he was also no dummy. He has hitched his wagon 
to Jesus Christ and is going along with him, is following him where he is going, and he has just found out that is not where he wants to go. Down this pathway of suffering, down this pathway of difficulty is not the direction he wishes to head. Seems absurd for us on the surface to grab the Lord Jesus by the face mask and chew him out on the sideline. And yet isn't that the same thing that we do every time we substitute our agenda, our understanding of the kingdom, our understanding of the church for what Jesus' plan and purposes are for it. We're just more subtle about it. (laughs) We just aren't going to be that brash and bold. We just say it in our hearts. We just exhibit it with our lives. Our reluctance to really devote ourselves to the things of the kingdom. And in case we just think we're not quite getting it here, Look at verses 24 and 25. Jesus makes it abundantly clear. This isn't just theoretical. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. If you try to have your life be for your purposes and your plans, if we try to have Cross Creek Church be for our purposes and our plans alone, we will lose it. If we instead lose it by entrusting it to Jesus, we will, in fact, save it. It will be given and used for the purposes that God has for it. If we don't do that, it's no minor error we see in these verses either. Look again at verse 23. We saw it kind of from Peter's perspective and this confrontation perspective. But now think, think it through for ourselves as well as a church. If we diverge from this pathway that Christ has for us, which involves difficulty, which involves losing our life, we're not just sort of making a minor error. We're not just a little bit off track spiritually because Jesus says that pathway is a hindrance. We become, instead of a building block, a hindrance, a barrier to the kingdom of God. I dare say that many of us here want to be used for God's kingdom, want to be desire at some level to be a building block For that, how do we get there? It's through this pathway of losing our life so that we might save it. It's very important for us. Very important for us as a church. Tonight we're also uh, ordaining and installing, of course, church leaders. Very important for the church leaders who are here to hear this as well. uh, Because of the special trust that has been given for us in leading the church and setting the direction and pace for the church. If, if this is important for all of us, it's particularly important for those called upon to lead, that we lead in a direction that Christ has us going. It means for us that we're not going to trade the message that Christ is giving here, even though it's difficult, we're not going to trade it for a more palpable message that are offered in our culture. The message of the liberal church It says that you get to salvation by your own efforts, not through a suffering Savior laid down for you. That message is not one certainly we want to settle for. The message that seems increasingly prominent of the prosperity message, the health and wealth message, that says uh, you're going to lose, you're going to save your life by saving it. There is no losing of your life. The gospel tells us something quite differently. We're also not going to trade this out for the the cool message, the message that sort of God and church is a giant iPod that's going to provide entertainment for us 
as we feel we need it. This is not the pathway Jesus has described to us. It's a pathway of difficulty. That's what it means to follow and build our life and our church upon it. I've been um, listening through uh, some of the uh, biography uh, recordings uh, from John Piper's website. He does a great job with these. He does one on Adoram uh, Judson. Shares about this man who was a missionary. Uh, God called him out to uh, go to Burma, that country. And it's interesting, even before he goes, he's trying to find a woman that would go with him. He's preparing to get married. And they have a copy of a letter that he sent to his bride-to-be's father asking for her hand. And the letter essentially says this, Dear Sir, If your daughter chooses to marry me, and I hope she will, she will be signing on not for a life of ease, not for a life of privilege. We will be going to the mission field. We will face great difficulty. There will be great costs to it, maybe even our own lives. This is his proposal letter. The father... Apparently gave it, left it up to her. He wasn't willing to say, yeah, honey, go do this. But he left it up to her to make the decision. She goes along with him. The first six years, I think it was, they saw one convert to faith in Christ. In the meantime, his first wife would have their first child and both of them would die on the mission field. During that time, I honestly don't remember if it's before or after he loses his second wife. But Judson goes and begins to spiral into this time of depression, this time of great loss. So much so that he writes back to the states and orders that all of his letters be destroyed because he felt like any letter that anybody wrote to him to encourage him to say he was doing a good work in the mission field was some sort of pride. So he slipped into this sort of delusional state, and he's at such at the end of his wits. He goes up into the mountains in Burma, removes himself from the very people he's trying to reach. Finally, about that time, something that just seems tragic happens and shakes him out of his stupor. His own brother dies back in the States. His brother had not been a believer for his entire life, but he received news that Christ had come in to his brother's life right before he passed away. That his brother had recognized that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and received that right before his death. Judson receives this news halfway across the world, snaps out of his situation, is reminded, recognizes again that Christ is Lord, that Christ is victor, as well as one who we would suffer for, and within weeks, From the hills, from the valleys, from hundreds of miles away, people begin to come after years of no response from the population. And they come and they ask, they say, sir, we have heard that you have words of life. They don't even know how to describe it. We have heard that you have some message from God. Would you share it with us? The church advances with Jesus Christ as its rock And its foundation. It's not going to be an easy path for us. We see from Jesus' words. Last thing we see in these verses. 
is this amazing reality that, yes, the church will advance in a way that we don't really expect through some struggle, and we'd prefer not to have that. But, oh, yeah, by the way, the church has tremendous power as it goes forth, based and built upon Christ and him alone. Look back with me at verse 18. Jesus tells Peter that he's a rock. He says, on this rock, I'll build my church. And he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I don't know in the commentators debate whether we're supposed to understand that these gates are surrounding sort of a kingdom of you know, people pursuing the world and the evil one and that the church is going to break into this prison by tearing the gates down or whether the church is kind of blocked off inside. We're trapped inside and we're breaking out into the world. It, 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 I don't know that it matters a ton. Folks like to debate it. The point is this. The church is breaking through the gates. A church that's grounded on who Christ is will break through. Will break through. And there is great victory in what Christ has done. And there is power for us as we rest our lives on him to be a rock in the building of that kingdom. What a privilege. What a joy for us to be a part of that. It's not going to look exactly like we think it will look or like we want it to look. But it will indeed be glorious to see such a kingdom advancing. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, how we do praise you that you have not left us alone, that you have sent your precious son who came and he came in a way to secure our salvation through suffering and pain and agony. And that pain and agony has brought us victory. He has been raised up. And yet your pathway for us as a church as we follow him is certainly to experience great joy in him. Certainly to experience His great power in the kingdom advancing, but also one where we should not be foolish to not expect difficulty. Oh, Father, would You strengthen us to walk and to build our lives individually? Would You strengthen us and help us to walk and to build our life as a church on Jesus Christ as He is revealed and not just as we would have Him to be? We pray this in His name. Amen.